And so really at the end of the day, there are other civil penalties that aren't just financial, but most of them are financial. And if you're the richest man in the world, like you're, like it doesn't matter. Like you can't make a penalty, a financial penalty that's big enough to really matter. Hi, everyone. I'm Larry Heron, and this is Talking Space. It's Thursday, July 27th, and I'm joined tonight again by Mr. Eric Resch. Hi, Eric. Hey, Larry. How are you? I'm well. Eric Resch is not a stranger to this show. We've talked about his writings many times. We also had him on for episode 1506, discussing the environmental lawsuit brought by a consortium of environmental and tribal groups against the FAA and SpaceX regarding their alleged environmental damages caused by the first integrated test launch of SpaceX's Starship back on April 20th of this year. And that's also the subject of today's show. Eric is an environmental engineer by training who has had a career where he's worked on both sides of the business, both on the private consulting side and the regulatory side of things. Uh, And we on the consulting side call that going over to the dark side. Uh, but Eric, again, we'll say it, you're not a lawyer and neither are we at Talking Space, but you have had experience with preparing the environmental documents, the PEAs and the EISs involved with the Starship saga, as well as navigating the approval process and some of the legal challenges that sometimes arise. And I, I say all this just to give any listeners who haven't listened to episode 1506 yet some reassurance that you might know a little bit about what you're talking about. Uh, Eric also has a Twitter feed and a Substack site that we've mentioned before on this show where he's known as ESG Hound. He is joining us today to give us some insight from his perspective as to the latest goings on with the lawsuit and some new issues that are beginning to crop up that may delay or at least complicate the timing for the next integrated test launch of the Starship. Right, Eric? That's right. So um, what's new? Tell, tell us what you got. I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, say I called it or anything like that, but um, you know, we can get into the new issues here and, and they'll kind of, they'll actually greatly over overlap with the ongoing lawsuit. We're back at it. And uh, there'll be, there'll be some written words from me um, shortly. And I think there's going to be some really interesting reporting to come out, um, you know, both in the coming days and then um, over, over the next, several months. Um, should be some legal intrigue. Um, there should be some fun technical stuff. If you're into, you know, uh, permits and, and water flows and, and where, where environmental, uh, um, externalities end up. So I, th- I think it, I think it's going to be fun, but, um, and, and kind of as an aside, when we talk about not being a lawyer, I, uh, I was, I was just thinking about it, as you said, it is, uh, if you're a chemical engineer and you're, you're not amazing at designing things, 
and you kind of wanted to go to law school, but you don't, um, go into, go into Clean Air Act compliance because you'll get your fill of law and you got to do some technical stuff too. So <laughs> that's my pitch to any chemical engineers that, that may want to, you know, dabble with the law because we end up doing, you know, we deal with the law all day long, which I mean, it's kind of true to, with a lot of engineering, but, but especially some of this environmental stuff, it gets, you know, it gets really into just, you know, you're dealing with the law as much as you are anything else. So. That's true. That's uh, I've found that to be true in my career as an environmental consultant as well. Yep. Um, and and uh, the going to the dark side. I started in uh, my my first environmental work was in 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 the agency uh, for the state of Colorado, and uh, you know going over to private was the dark side. So I guess I guess we're all. Dark. <laughs> it's like that line from. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, right? Yes, yes, sir. There is no Dark Side of the Moon. In reality, it's all dark. I've seen people talk about the lawsuit. Um, you know, obviously, it was a big, um, big, big to do when it first came out, and people were really excited. They're like, when's something going to happen? And you know, I'd remind people if you go back and look at you know any NEPA court docket, you could be talking about. We could be talking about years of of back and forth, um, uh, especially considering that the plaintiffs did not request um, an, an immediate injunction. So, you know, I, I told everyone, like, we can go over some of the, the interesting stuff in the filing, um, but really it's going to come down to, you know, uh, what court it's going to be in. What is the judge like? What do what does discovery look like? What do all the different arguments that proceed look like? And uh, we're, we're finally at the point where we're going to at least have a little bit of clarity into when things start, which will look like it'll be, um, you actually probably know better than I do, Larry. I think you've looked at it more recently. It'll be at, towards the end of the year is when we're. Yeah. So, so the latest, uh, from the lawsuit, the latest, the latest judge's ruling from the lawsuit as of July 25th was that, uh, defendants shall lodge the administrative record on or before September 29th. And the party shall abide by the following briefing schedule, which goes into a whole bunch of details for the back and forth between plaintiff and defendant uh, responding to each other's submittal. But uh, the judge ordered that the party shall file a joint status report proposing a briefing schedule as to summary judgment within 14 days of the court's resolution of the plaintiff's motion challenging the administrative record, if any, is filed. And if the plaintiffs choose not to challenge the administrative record, the parties shall file a joint status report setting forth proposed briefing schedule by October 27th. So just to get the administrative record straight and to get a briefing schedule could take as long as, you know, between somewhere between the end of October and uh, even into the beginning of next year. Yep, so. that's right. Um so, so, and then that's really just, that's like, you know, um, getting, getting all the equipment out, uh, yeah. ready, ready for battle. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyone who's, uh, I, I'm actually going to give one shout out, uh, to a fellow Substack who I've met and, and she does not write about environmental law, but if you want, if you want to know a little bit about kind of wonkery with, you know, a specific type of law and how passionate a lawyer can get, there's a, there's an account out there called, Chancery Daily. Um, she's she's amazing. She covers um, the Chancery Court in Delaware, um, and I promise this is relevant because if you have followed her, she's most recently followed um, the the AMC litigation, which has been kind of bananas. But she's she kind of got big on Twitter um, for covering the 
the the the Twitter buyout, which involves Musk, and then there's been some, there's been various lawsuits involving executive compensation, some fun twists and turns. Um, and, and so, just for some of that context for people who've been following legal stuff, um, this is an entirely different arena. It's not going to be the, the the equities, you know, weighing equities as a as a the, the court of chancery does. Um, it's it's going to be federal court. Um, it's not criminal. It is still civil. The rules are different. The procedures are different, and um, things move very slowly and deliberately. And then the other thing is is that Mr. Musk has often brought in um, his kind of hotshot lawyer, Alex Spiro. Uh, there was a write up about him in the New Yorker the other day, and he's um, it's kind of a, this celebrity attorney who's very good at at pleading to juries. Um, and so if there's any, and he's, he's basically been brought into a ton of cases that Musk involves both corporate cases and his own personal legal issues. And, um, what I do want to bring up is that I, I, I have a hard time imagining that, um, SpaceX is going to, uh, employ his services. You're going to get very serious attorneys with SpaceX. They're going to be boring attorneys. They're not going to be the exciting attorneys. Musk definitely has some exciting attorneys that do wacky things, um, I would guess that they've got a, um, they've got a crack team both internally. Um, they're going to hire competent outside counsel. It's going to be very boring and dry and it's going to be decided by, um, essentially one judge. So, um, it's, I, I'm really interested in a lot of the kind of wonkery with the case, but it's going to be, it's going to be boring. It's going to be plotting. There's going to be a lot of, um, things that seem exciting to kind of a lay person. Um, and I'm guilty of this too, plenty of time, because again, I'm not a lawyer. Um, you know, I, I, but, but it's going to be, it's going to be pretty boring. I think, um, it would be my guess. Um, it'll be interesting, but I think the actual kind of procedural stuff will be for people who have not followed kind of these environmental cases, it's going to be really boring. So uh, just, just a forewarning, I do want to pump people up about it because I'm excited about the topics, but the actual, Legal minutia is going to be probably really exhausting. Um, and I, yeah, I guess I just want to throw that out there. So is there, there is absolutely, how, how do you see it at this point? Is there absolutely no hope of any sort of, uh, surprise ruling? You know, I mean, what are the, what are the odds of, uh, of the judge, uh, coming to a summary judgment for the, for the defendants and just getting rid of the whole case sometime between now and, is that is that likely to happen before this uh, administrative record and the briefing schedule is set down? I don't think so, but but I think that's actually a really good segue um, because I know everyone wants updates on the lawsuit, but but I think that's actually a really excellent segue into what's actually going on on the ground in Starbase. Um, and so I, I I think it's best if we kind of go there and then we can talk about how it could or could not affect the case. Very um, well. Because I, yeah, because I think there are actually some superseding requirements that I don't know how you get out of. Um, so I've been thinking about the best way to 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 put this because I'm working on some written stuff about it because because it's um it's really fascinating and my my working titles right now, which I'm sure I'll change. You got to have a little bit of clickbait in there. Um, it's it's you know one of them was I, I threw out kind of to myself. I've got a bunch of ideas written down as you know. Um, why, why does Elon Musk hate the Clean Water Act? Um, you know, something about Elon Musk hating permits, um, which is, you know, maybe, maybe not entirely fair, but you gotta, you gotta, you gotta grab the, the reader and, and drag them in. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is, um, 
I don't remember last time if we had touched on the situation um, with the Boring Company, which is another Elon Musk company for those who are living under a rock. Um, uh, did you, do you remember if we talked about that in our episode or not? I'm not sure if you and I did on that episode, but we have talked about it on our show in the recent okay. past. Yes. Okay. Well, well, I think it's a really interesting way to, to go into this because we'll actually go into stuff that I wrote about last year. And Okay, so let me lay the ground here and Larry stop me if we're getting too wonky because this is this is I'm in the zone and and I'll just keep going on permitting. So what I remember about Bastrop County, Texas with the boring company is that there were some illegal discharges either had already occurred or were planned uh and um the boring company was cited for those. Right. Um that's, that's it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's the basics. Um, so just, just to give some. So you're saying that the same thing may be happening at Starbase. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, but I think it's really interesting context because they were cited for it. And so when we talk about regulations and I know in, in kind of the recent past, um, with the fallout from the, um, you know, blowing a crater in the ground, um, in Boca Chica that we, there was a lot of talk about, well, why can't they excavate a, um, you know, a, a flame, uh, flame diverter a, trench, flame diverter trench. Yeah. And, and so there was, a, there was talk about that and, and the, the, the driving reason for that, um, which is very clear. If you look at the site, you look at, you know, how the rules work. If you, if you've, um, spent way too much time in the, the permitting history as I have, uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, that is under the Clean Water Act. Um, that is dredging of um, either in the waters of the United States, but in this particular example, uh, the 404 of the Clean Water Act involves um, basically infilling, moving, um, or otherwise, you know, altering wetlands. Um, and, and so wetlands are these it sounds it sounds kind of obvious, but the the Supreme Court made actually a recent ruling about that that kind of changes the dynamic a little bit. But basically, if there's a you know boggy water that, that at some frequency throughout the year has you know standing or sitting water in it, um, and now there's a clarification in the most recent Clean Water Act ruling that if it's connected to what we call waters of the United States, um, which has been um, hotly debated, but basically if it's a a significant body of water. So if, if a wetland connects to an ocean, uh, a major lake or a river, um, then that wetland is, is, um, both a wetland that's protected from dredging, but then is also, um, basically considered part of that water. And so kind of the segue into that is that, is that the Clean Water Act has a bunch of different parts. Um, some of them are specifically for those activities that we discussed. Um, but kind of the broadest one, um, is the original one was, is the, you know, the, the, the surface water components. And, and most of them are under um, what we call the national pollution discharge elimination system. Um, that is a, uh, uh, it's a permitting scheme for, for um, surface waters. Um, and to be clear that there's separate rules for groundwater. So water well injection uh, aquifers and stuff, those are mostly under separate rules, but you can actually have, groundwater that's connected to a surface water and so discharging to the groundwater which then makes its way via percolation uh discharging to, it, to surface water which makes it yes way. yep 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 so if you dump on the ground 
enough liquid and it seeps into the ground, gets into a, a, you know, kind of a high level aquifer and makes its way over to an adjacent wetland. And this is important for uh, SpaceX. Then that is effectively the same thing as putting a pipe of, um, you know, effluent directly into a river. Cause when people think of pollution under the Clean Water Act, they think of nasty pollutants coming out of a pipe that leads out of a factory that goes in to a river. Um, in this case, it would be coming from a launch pad into, yes, a, into yes. a wildlife refuge. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and so every state uh, basically follows the same rules. Um, you follow federal standards. They'll have some little quirks on top um, for each state. And this is what this will be relevant as well as we go into to this. Um, so just, just for some context, and this is true for most of the nation, but I'm going to focus on Texas in particular, um, since I've done a lot of work here. And then also because this is where both the Boring Company and SpaceX, um, have their issues uh, or potential issues. Um, so really kind of briefly under this, under this permitting schema, um, I'm going to talk about three types of permits today. Um, the first one is what we call a, um, like a construction permit. Um, and that is a permit. If you go to any construction site in the nation, you're going to see hay bales. You're going to see, um, you know, those, those mesh fences. You're going to see, um, dust control suppression. You're going to see dump trucks filling up, you know, dirt that has been kind of scattered everywhere. Um, and usually that is, uh, not only kind of a best practice, uh, for keeping things clean, but it's also explicitly, um, regulated under the Clean Water Act and, and under NIPTES as well. Um, and so in Texas, you have to, um, before you do any kind of serious dirt moving over, you know, a fraction of an acre, you have to submit what's called an NOI, which is a notice of intent that you want to do this permitted activity. And so you go to any contractor in the state of Texas, it doesn't matter. They don't have to have an environmental engineering degree. Uh, if you, if you hire a land mover in the state of Texas and you're going to have them do civil work, the first thing the guy, it doesn't matter. He could be high school educated. You know, he's going to ask you, where's your SWIP, um, which is your on-site, you know, self-written. How are we going to comply with this? They're going to say, where's your stormwater permit for construction? So this one is standard. Everyone knows it. They're not going to do anything without that permit in place. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this one, this permit has like, it has diagrams and maps that show how you're going to minimate, minimize runoff right. to uh, surface water, you're, yep. how you're going to yep. minimize runoff from a road into a storm drain, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yep. And that is called the SWIP, which is the Stormwater Pollution Prevention Plan. Um, so if I use any acronyms and, uh, you think the, the, cause I know you have an environmental background, but if, if you think, if you, you think I threw in an acronym without explaining what it is, just stop me. We'll do. Uh, okay. So that's the, that's the primary type of permitting. And that one's a really simple one to do. Um, uh, the, the SWIP is what you're talking about. That's the site plan that you develop it yourself. You have to keep it on hand. The permit itself is very general. Um, it has, uh, it's, it's a general permit actually. And so all you have to do is submit it. You put it in. Texas's system. Uh, this is actually a fun fact that I feel like I should throw out. Texas's uh, environmental reporting and management system is called STEERS. Um, I actually don't know what it stands for, but it's S-T-E-E-R-S. And I think that's kind of cool because, you know, it's like a longhorn. Um, so STEERS is the system. You can go in and you submit a electronic um, FYI. We're going to be doing this con this construction um, it's basically automatically approved by the system. Um, and then you put all your stuff in and then kind of the day-to-day -day management is done on site. You keep your records for a certain amount of time. Pretty simple. If you have a stormwater, if you, sorry, if you have a construction project, you have to have a permit. 
Now, you ever get any ever get any uh, state or county inspectors come out to those sites and check and see yeah. if you're doing it right? Yes, yes, I have. Um, okay. Pretty uncommon because most contractors are aware that everyone's. It's one of those things that's like it's so pervasive that everyone's like, you know, you need to have it. Um, so it ends up working pretty well. Um, not that it, not that it's perfect, but you know, there's, it's, it's pretty, it's, it's standardized, it's formalized. And this is true for most of the nation. Texas is pretty good. Okay. So we've talked about construction permits. The next one I'm going to talk about is a storm water permit. Now, um, there are most facilities that are subject to storm water requirements. Um, this is like your operating storm water permit. It's if you think about a refinery um, or a gas plant or a chemical plant or a gas station, um, you've got equipment that's out that's sitting out that can be exposed to the rain, which we call storm water. Um, if you think about a refinery, you're gonna you're gonna want to minimize leaks, but you know you've got giant pieces of equipment that um, process oil. Um, you're gonna have you know giant, different- giant above ground storage tanks full of right. it, exactly full, right, full of full of all the. Uh- you know, for for refinery, it's full of all the uh, refinement products that were yep. made from that crude. Yep, yep. And so, if you think about rain, um, you know, coming down from the heavens, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna brush everything that it touches. It's gonna wipe off some of these materials. It's gonna kind of um, flow together and 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 go off site. So all that hydrocarbon laden laden stormwater has got to go somewhere. Right, right. And that one in general, um, that has a SWIP as well. Um, and it can be the, the, the kind of the operating stormwater permit. They have the, the one for Texas. It's called a general permit. Um, it, it's got like 50 different industries covered. It's like parts A through parts, I don't know, X. And then there's a bunch of sub industries. And so each industry. So if you're, um, like for example, if you're, if you're a, a you know, a concrete operation, um, you know, batch plant, they're going to have special requirements for the types of minerals you see in concrete production. If you're a refinery, you're going to have oil and gas production. If you're a food production facility, they're going to have a bunch of requirements for um, biological oxygen demand, stuff that's specific to the industry. So that permit is also you apply for it. Most of the time you're approved right away. You can self-certify. It's a general permit. Okay. So, uh, and then the last one that we're going to talk about um, that kind of the, of the big three is what we call a, um, you know, an industrial wastewater permit. So if stormwater is incidental rain that comes from the heavens and may touch your process and, and cause pollution by, you know, by, by washing stuff away or coming into contact with your process, um, an industrial waste, um, and, and these are both, you know, definitions under the Clean Water Act and then in each state reg as well is when you, alter or use a liquid of any sort in any industrial process um, that adds a pollutant to it. Um, and you, once once it touches your process or it's been involved in your process in your industrial process and process doesn't have to be a, a closed reactor to be clear, but once it's been used kind of in industrial purposes, um, you can't let it just flow by, which is kind of how that Stormwater permit works. And we are talking about everything from chemicals all the way down to like uh, maybe the cooling water that flows through a, a, a power plant. Right. Kind of thing. Right. And one thing that I think is really important to note is that pollutant, when people think of pollutant, they think of things that are unnatural. So they think of, you know, synthetic chemicals. Um, but, you know, dirt dissolved in water uh, is a pollutant. 
uh, organic matter that can, um, you know, cause eutrophication or can cause, um, you know, uh, negative harm to, to the, the, the biology of a water is yeah, a pollutant. the kind of stuff that's responsible for algae blooms and right. lakes and that kind of thing. Right. Um, things. And then the big one that people always forget about and they think it's silly, but it's not is heat. So <laughs> heat is a big one. And actually there was a really interesting case of, um, there, uh, there was a, uh, a decommissioned power plant in like upstate New York that someone turned back on. Um, I think it was a coal power plant and they converted it to gas and they were using it to mine Bitcoin, which, um, I'd probably say too many cuss words if I go into, you know, kind of how wasteful I think that is personally. But, um, there was actually a whole back and forth about their discharge permit in, into one of those lakes in upstate New York and the, the, the pollutant of concern. This was cooling water was heat temperature. Um, so it's actually explicitly written in the clean water act that, that heat is a pollutant. It's well understood. Um, but, but again, it could be dust. It can be oxygen. It can be too little oxygen. It can be, you know, uh, minerals that are in sand. It can be even water that you're getting out of your tap, right? So if you take tap water, um, that has a lot of chlorine in it, for example, you can't just, if you're an industrial company, you can't just go and like spray it everywhere and say, well, it's just, you know, it's just water because it's not because you've, if you put too much, um, you know, potable water, then you're, you're, you're messing with kind of the background levels of, of the, the water body that it's going into. So with all of those three permits kind of discussed in general, um, one thing that's really cool with Texas system is that you can see who has applied for stuff, like almost the instant that they do, um, or at least within a day or two. Um, so I've, I've tracked these kind of on and off and, um, SpaceX has had, from what I could tell, like a pretty decent, you know, number of, um, construction permits go in. And again, I think that's kind of a consequence of no one's going to dig if, if you don't have that permit in place. Um, and it was, it wasn't until actually June last month that SpaceX finally applied for their stormwater permit. Um, which if you've seen my Twitter or gone through some old posts of mine, you will see that I was pointing out they didn't have a stormwater permit something like 15 months ago. Um, this is their operating storm permit. Um, this is for stuff like rain that touches the rockets, equipment, you know, forklifts, all this stuff that they're subject. And I don't know why they didn't apply for it sooner because it's also approved immediately. Um, but for whatever reason that wasn't in place until last month, but they have one now. So, um, I'm pleased about that, but I, that was really interesting um, because it was actually one of the conditions prior to a launch uh, for my reading from, from the, the um, approval and they didn't have it until two months after the first launch, but whatever, they've got it now. <laughs> um, and, and, and so, so my, my obvious next question would be, does that permit cover this new water deluge system that they've installed? No. <laughs> Simple answer is no. Um, I mean, I, it categorically does not, um, it, because, because it's, it's not rainwater. I mean, it is not, if you think about the word, it, it is storm water. Um, and it, it, it's, it simply isn't, it isn't storm water. So that wouldn't be the, 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 um, appropriate use for it. Um, right. And so kind of going back to that permit system, they have not submitted an application for an industrial wastewater permit. And I pointed this out, I think the first time, like 15 or 16 months ago, I've brought it up on Twitter, um, kind of, you know, intermittently as it shows up and people yell at me and they say, it's just water. Um, 
<laughs> but but basically they haven't and I'm I've been very confused as to why. Um and well, let's and I, let's take this a step back. So so this water that is generated by this deli released by this deluge system uh started out as what potable water do we think that that is probably the case okay um, so it's stored in potable water tanks that are somewhere near the launch pad uh and then when it is discharged it mixes with whatever incidental stuff may be laying on the ground and all the the pieces of the the parts of the launch pad as well as mixes with whatever discharges come out of the rocket nozzles of Starship, uh, as well as all the heat that comes out of Starship. So we've got whatever, you know, methane, whatever might be uh, mixing with that water, plus we've got the heat. Am I on the right track here? You are exactly right. That is right. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, um, I mean, if we talk about like a power plant, right, if you think about steam from a power plant, um, there actually isn't necessarily always heat because, um, if you've got, I mean, if we think about, you know, chemistry, if we've got a heated liquid that has salts dissolved in it and we're, you know, we're running it over metal, um, metal has, you know, um, little pieces of metal go, there's, there's some corrosion, there's scale, um, those get dissolved in the water. Uh, they, yeah, they alter the pH of the water. Paint right. coatings on all the, right. all the painted surfaces that gets, uh, scraped off or melted off or whatever that gets mixed with that water. Right. All right. kinds of incidental stuff. Right. And so, so, um, you know, and so I've, I've, I've been really, uh, I guess I've been kind of sitting on it until we get, we get guidance from TCEQ, which we've had in the past. Um, people have put in requests. TCEQ um, being. Sorry. The Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, that is Texas's EPA. They're the regulators for most of the stuff, they do the EPA's job for the state of Texas. They have what's called delegated authority under both the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act. Very good. So they're the EPA. Uh, they're, they're tasked with um, complying with, with the rules of, of the EPA um, or in enforcing them, in fact. Um, uh, the EPA will step in in bigger cases or in certain other programs, but um, yeah, so, so, I guess, I guess, you know, we, we, we went back and, you know, uh, um, people who've been asking questions, you know, there, there's been some responses from TCQ along the lines of, no, they haven't submitted for one. Yes, they would need one if they're going to, you know, have an industrial wastewater and they still haven't done it. Um, and, and again, going back to that PEA, the, the, um, environmental assessment that was issued by the FAA, um, it actually goes, you read it, it, it outlines, it says, if we're going to use deluge water, we're going to have, a you know, in, in, impermeable retention pond. We're going to make sure it's treated. We're going to have a NIPTES permit or a TPDS permit, a Texas permit, uh, you know, under, under that program. Um, and, and they haven't put any of those in place. Um, and, and I guess I'm, I'm, could, could they, could they have done it and you just didn't find it or is it known no, to I, always be in one place where you looked? It is, but also we have confirmation from the agency that they have not, applied for one. I see. Um, so that, that is news. Uh, I, I could tell you for a fact that not only is it not in their systems, but TCQ has confirmed once again that they don't have one. Um, and then we start to get into some really interesting situations. And, and this is kind of going back to the, the situation in Bastrop outside of Austin um, with the boring company. Not that they're the same company, but anyone who pretends that those companies aren't, um, I don't know also put it besides incestuous with, with, um, personnel and management. There's a lot of back and forth. And obviously the media 
treats everything Elon Musk is one, you know, kind of blob, which I'm guilty of, you know, to a fault too, because they, they each have their own independent you know, operating people. Musk isn't doing it all, but, um, it is interesting. And so, so kind of what the boring company did is they bought, um, they bought a bunch of land in Bastrop, which is a semi rural county outside of Austin. Um, it's become uh, much wealthier in recent years and, they decided to just start making a lot of noise 24-7, digging stuff up, you know, running equipment. Um, the neighbors are very mad at them, um, although I don't really think there's much legally that they can do um, because nuisance laws aren't great. Um, but they did get in a little bit of trouble, um, which could have been a lot of trouble. And, and we can argue about you know how effective that enforcement was, especially in light with what's happening now. But they basically didn't get... Um, a stormwater permit and they didn't get a discharge permit and they were digging into the ground and they were pumping, um, groundwater out, you know, as you're drilling down into the ground, you're going to hit, you know, wet water, um, in, in terms of, you know, you're going to hit groundwater itself, but you're also going to have dirt and you're going to have water. And they were basically just, and, the, and not to mention the drilling fluids that they were using to, to do those <laughs> test borings. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That, that there would be some incidental content attack of that, but then they were making holes and it was raining and it was making a bunch of dirt and then it was rushing out into the road and they got cited for that, um, for good reason because they needed to have those things. Um, and, and so they needed to have a permit and they just didn't have one. And what's really interesting though, is that kind of the outcry. And I, I've really been kind of fascinated by this and I, I wonder what the reason for it is, is that um, even Fox news, um, and I mentioned them because they, they tend to not care as much about, or I guess their coverage generally isn't as squishy when it comes to, um, kind of pleading on environmental cases. They all had these headlines. Um, this is after SpaceX was, or sorry, not SpaceX after the boring company was like, okay, fine. We'll just, we'll start collecting the water and treat it. And we're going to apply for an industrial permit to, uh, and a pretreatment permit to discharge it into the nearby Colorado river. and What's fascinating to me, and I, I, I will, I'm given the headlines we've seen about SpaceX and how much more impact there is down there. Um, they, they, they legally applied for a discharge permit, an industrial discharge permit. You know, there are these giant headlines that were like, Elon Musk boring company to discharge 500,000 gallons of water today, you know, wastewater a day into the Colorado river, which is technically true because that is wastewater. Um, but it was going to be a dirt and water mixture. They would have pretreatment requirements that, right, that meet right. the background. And it was, it was a legal process and, and there were people out there complaining, which is obviously the right to do. I just, for some reason, I just, the most legal thing they did kind of that I've seen like them do that there's been controversy about like the, the most controversy I've seen is about them legally applying for a permit and every media organization buying into the, the kind of the neighbors framing of it as, you know, big bad musk discharging pollution into the river, which is again, technically true, but, but it's actually, they, 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 they got their act together and we're doing the right thing. I, I find the whole thing very fascinating. I know. Well, I, I think that uh, in all fairness, I think what the neighbors were complaining about was uh, uh, number one, lack of communication right. with them from, from the boring company say, Hey, this is what we're going to come in and do. So, you know, we, we hope you're okay with it. And here's maybe some things we can do to help out that, that sort of thing. They didn't do any of that. The other thing that they were upset about was, uh, was that they, didn't uh that that 
the boring company didn't do all these things in the beginning. Right. You know, they didn't apply for the permits in the beginning. They first tried to get away with doing it without permits until they got caught. You know, so they're, they're one of the, like, I remember, um, one of the major complaints was that the, they only do the right thing when somebody's looking. Right, right. And I think that's a really fair observation and a good way to frame how kind of Musk companies operate. Um, but, but it is, it is interesting because I think the core of the complaint is that to be frank with you and, 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 and obviously I'm really passionate about environmental permitting and how interesting it could be, how complicated and how burdensome it can be as well. Um, is that the real reason that these people are very angry is that they came in and they're out there shining lights and clanging on things and running engines literally 24 yep. seven in, in a, and there aren't nuisance laws to deal with it. And so that expresses itself and well, you've got a permit and we can stop you from, from doing it if you, we have a public meeting. And so I think some people are, are really passionate about the discharge. Um, I, there, there are thousands of facilities up and down the Colorado River in Texas that do similar discharges. Um, many of them with much worse chemicals and whatnot. But, but I think that's a really good reminder that, that that's, that's the one externality that, that has this legal process. There, there are no nuisance laws to prevent you from, you know, turning peaceful farmland into your weird, you know, uh, tunneling factory and, and, and they truly do shine. I've, I've seen pictures. They shine lights at all hours of the night and they are just, yeah, uh, they're, they're crummy neighbors. If they're, if there's anything that's, that is the biggest complaint is that they are bad neighbors. And, um, anyway, so, so, so to get back to the, get back right. to the starship right. thing. Yeah. Uh, so to get back to that, the reason I find it interesting is that this permit that the boring company eventually applied for, um, is something that SpaceX should have started thinking about, you know, years ago. Um, certainly before even I brought it up, um, th they talked about it in the EA. And I, so I, I don't make know. sure that we have this straight. So what's happening now is that they have a stormwater permit, but that doesn't apply to the deluge system. And they don't, there is no permit application even for industrial wastewater discharge with respect to the deluge system. Is that That's, correct? That is correct. And, and how long does that process normally take? I'm glad you asked because TCQ, both on their website and uh, most recently in communications with people who have asked, who have been curious enough to ask about the situation, they have reminded people that the TCQ recommends people that they apply for a permit 330 days before they first discharge. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So for, so we're talking you know, roughly a year. A year. And that's, that's, that's on the positive end because that, that is, um, that has to go through because it's going to be an individual permit. Um, it has certain reviews. It has to go to EPA. It actually has, um, if you're ready for more public comment, there's going to be a public comment period of it if they decide to apply for one. Um, and we can assume that all these other space launch facilities like, you know, Wallops and yes. Cape Canaveral and all that, they all, they have all those permits. Yes. Um, and actually I will send you to post on your page. I think it's really fascinating. I've got the, uh, um, the, the space shuttle, um, the last space shuttle permit application for, was that 39B, I believe in, um, Cape Canaveral. There's actually a great flow chart that shows you all the different wastewater types that are incidental to launches and then the different treatments. They've got uh, settlement love to see that. Yeah. It's great. I'll, I, I found it. Um, I will, uh, I, I sent it to a friend and I'm like, oh, I love this. It's a, it's a nice flow diagram. So you can see that, you know, water that touches a rocket is, you know, it, 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 it 
it undergoes chemical and physical changes. And if it gets discharged in large volumes, um, both to the ground and then if it kind of goes off site, then it, it, it's considered a pollutant. Um, uh, that is, it's a, actually an unpermitted pollutant. Um, which kind of getting to the next point and, and is that, you know, SpaceX has approved with, has kind of, they proceeded with the initial sprinkle test. Um, and I'm to understand that they have an upcoming, uh, full pressure test of, of this deluge system, which, um, will discharge water to ground. Um, and, you know, at, at sufficient volumes will run off site, um, above ground, but certainly the water that touches the ground and seeps in. Um, and this is based on local geology and then also what SpaceX themselves admitted in the EA that water is considered, um, you know, part of surface water. It'll go into the surrounding wetland. Um, and so any discharge from that process and potentially even from testing it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure because it's just going over steel. Um, but, but certainly when the rocket touches it, it's going to be wastewater and, and every single, and, and I've the, the kind of the most recent thing I've been working on is, going over some of these systems. And I actually wanted to talk about one in particular. I've gone through all the NASA ones and they all have, you know, um, you know, writing in them that's very specific that says, you know, it has to be collected here. You have to let, you know, um, particulates settle out. You have to make sure the pH is right before you discharge either right. the ground or to the surrounding, uh, you know, into the ocean, the, the outfall into the ocean. Um, but the uh, relativity space uh, uh, approval for the Terran one launcher, which is a very small, it's that 3d printed rocket. Um, there's actually a great, um, there's a great seg section in their environmental approval that explains kind of in a few paragraphs exactly what I'm talking about in, in that that rocket is a small rocket, much smaller than SpaceX. Um, I think they said they would use up to, you know, I think it was like a hundred thousand gallons during a launch. So not that much. Um, that's, that's, that's actually a pretty small amount. Um, the only combustion products there are, you know, similar to spaceship, uh, sorry, similar to Starship are going to be methane, uh, uh, liquid methane and uh, liquid oxygen. And it's very explicitly lies out that, you know, when they built the site uh, for, for that launch, that they, they have to have collection systems for that deluge water because it's, it's, they, I think they call it an industrial wastewater. So they're saying deluge water from this rocket is an industrial wastewater. And uh, if that is an industrial wastewater under, Florida's implementation of the Clean Water Act, using the words they use, then it is also one under Texas's. There's no way out of it. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how they actually. I think with the test, it may be debatable. There may be some. Um, you could say the the potable water they're putting in doesn't have enough, you know, uh, chlorine atoms in it to be considered a pollutant. No, but but even if that's the case, you you got to know that uh, once once rocket exhaust touches it and, and right. all that heat that's generated, uh, that that's a different animal. Right, but but they they haven't applied for one, and and I'm I'm baffled by it because there's no way around it. it you can't. There's no. The only way that that you could go around it is that if if with how the Clean Water Act is written, um, that if Congress were to write in a bill that this particular project doesn't is not subject to the Clean Water Act uh, starbase in Boca Chica, then that would be the only way to get out of these permitting requirements. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I, I don't think that's their plan because I don't see that going over well. Um, but that would be the only way around it is as far as I can tell. And 
Um, another thing to note, and this is, this maybe kind of answers the question where you have like plausible deniability. If you're like, well, we just, we were going ahead. We didn't know, um, that there's, if you go to the EPA and you look at, you know, what are criminal statutes under the Clean Water Act? There's, there's a webpage. It's the first result on Google. It says knowing there's, um, uh, recklessly or knowingly discharging an industrial waste, um, without having a nipotes permit in place is a, um, uh, for, for unknowingly or for kind of recklessly, it's one year in prison, um, and a monetary fine in the, I don't know, $20,000. And then for knowingly, it is a three year criminal sentence. Um, and people go to jail for this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look up criminal enforcement actions under the EPA. And so my suspicion, if we're getting into speculation is that it's best to not know. And so you just proceed until someone tells you to stop. Um, and so if someone tells SpaceX that you have to have an industrial discharge permit to use a water with your deluge system, um, and then you proceed with it anyway, that is definitionally and unambiguously a criminal violation of the Clean Water Act. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know what to do with that information because I don't know how they launch without this permit. And I don't know how they get this permit without having a settling or retention pond. And I don't know how they get a settling or retention pond without also getting an Army Corps permit to be able to, to dig up the surrounding wetland. I don't. I don't know what the plan is and I don't know if the plan is just to proceed until someone tells you to stop. But if they say, like, I mean, if, 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 if Texas, if the state of Texas or the regional EPA puts in writing, if you use this deluge system, you will be discharging without a permit and someone were to go ahead, then the person that made that decision would have committed a knowing felony. Um, and I, I, I don't, I guess I, it feels to me like I don't know how you can launch with this water deluge system. It doesn't feel possible. Well, uh, <laughs> all I can say is uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens next. It'll be interesting to, to find out. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's kind of the long and short of it, but um, yeah. And, and you know, that, that's not even all Eric we've got. Uh, so, so, so far we've talked about the lawsuit. We need to, that needs to get straightened out. We've talked about the industrial wastewater permit that needs to be straightened out. The other thing, which I was just reminded of today, was that uh, the FAA is still awaiting a mishap report from SpaceX to identify corrective actions that they must take to get the okay to launch again. Yep, um, I I saw that was le- that was scooped by the uh, um, San Antonio Express. Yeah, I think they were the yeah, first ones that got it. Good yeah, for them. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the FAA rep said the FAA will not allow a return to flight operations until it determines that any system, process, or procedure related to the mishap does not affect public safety or any other aspect of the operator's license. The mishap investigation is ongoing. So, so there's that little tidbit as well. Yeah, I, I, I was kind of surprised that they hadn't even submitted that report. And, um, again, I try not to speculate with you too much, Larry, but, but I've, I've kind of long, if you look at how Musk kind of operates and talks about things that he's always, he knows he needs to keep raising money for, um, Tesla's self-sustainable now or from finances, but, but SpaceX is, been in the middle of, of, you know, secondaries and, and I think they're going to need, you know, more fresh capital soon. And the question is, is are these announcements, are they just, you know, Elon Musk being 
you know, really excited and not, and not saying, saying we'll figure all this regulatory stuff out later or this other stuff out later? Or is it that we have to be like, great things are coming soon because we've got a capital raise coming up. Um, I have opinions about it, but I think it's a question that at least bears paying attention to. Um, but because then, then you're dealing with things that Mr. Musk has gotten in trouble with before in the past, which is saying untrue things about, you know, uh, securities under the Securities and Exchanges Act. So, <laughs> or, or has, has he has put it in the past words to the effect of, I'll say what I want to say. And if it costs me money to say it, so be it. <laughs> right. 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 But, but, right. That, that's what's really interesting about the, about the Clean Water Act is that if you knowingly do it, it's criminal. And that's, that's like a lot of these SEC things, like you could get criminally charged. Um, yeah. people do, but most of the time it's civil. And so really at the end of the day, there are other civil penalties that aren't just financial, but most of them are financial. And if you're the richest man in the world, like you're like, it doesn't matter. Like you can't make a penalty, a financial penalty that's big enough to really matter. So I think that's, I think, I think Musk, I think Musk loves playing around with that idea. Uh, I think he kind of relishes in it. And so um anyway, I, I don't know. I, I find that really fascinating. Yeah. Um But uh just, just really quick kind of back to the lawsuit. Cause I did at the beginning promise, um, to circle back to the lawsuit itself, because, you know, we talk about, will there be a surprise judgment? I don't know. I can't think of a more egregious, you know, kind of self violation of what they certified in their EA than what they're doing with this water system, because the EA go back and read it. You don't need to have like, you don't need to be a giant regulations nerd like I do. Like, they talk about it. They say, if we need a deluge system, we will consult with TCQ to see if we need a permit. We, we plan on having retention ponds if we need water. They talk about all these things. They have not requested. So they could also, they could also just get into contact with the industrial stormwater permitting division and say, Hey, what do you think our requirements are? But as soon as the TCQ tells you, Hey, yo, you need a permit, then the second you violate that, you would be knowingly violating. Um, and, and so I guess last time we were on, I kind of handicapped the chances is really low, but I, I I'm looking at this and I'm like, this isn't just a NEPA issue. This is all this stuff is explicitly in there. It's how it's, it's, it's the clean water act. I mean, it's, it's, I, I guess I don't. Now, it, now it's not just the difference between what you would have to do for an EA versus what you would have to do for a full-blown environmental impact statement. Now right. it's not even being in compliance what you said you would do in the EA. Right. That's exactly right. And because, because we talk about like last time we talked about, well, you know, what, what is a significant impact under NEPA? And that is a very squishy definition that in a lot of cases that, that is open to interpretation and the agency, if they want to make something happen, then they will kind of, you know, they'll, they'll squish it into a box, but you know, water that's used to cool a, a, a rocket, you know, is it's, that's an industrial wastewater. I mean, there's no, there's, there's, there's no other way to look at it. Um, every other facility, I mean, I, and, and so, and so I guess kind of going back to the lawsuit is, you know, if you're, if you're going in there and you're suing them, then what better opportunity to point out that they like, Hey, look, a bunch of people have pointed out that they're violating the clean water act and, you know, you get TCQ records involved and then, you know, the judge can say, we're not, we're not just talking about like a subjective impact to like, you know, how much it inconveniences people or whether that's significant or not. We're talking about a pretty open and shut violation of one of the cornerstone, like direct pollution, um, 
regulations. And I don't know if that then also goes to the judge saying, this is what I need to say. This EA was insufficient because not only are you not saying what you were going to do with it, but the FAA themselves aren't doing anything. Like The FAA should have someone in there saying, Hey, you can't do this water stuff because it's a clean water act issue. Then you're saying they, they're, they're deficient in, in executing the NEPA oversight program and not just the plan being insufficient as well. Right. Um, so I guess, I guess I would change my handicap. Um, but you, you never, you never bet against Elon Musk. So I'm still going to stay with a 70%. It's going to go their way. But I mean, I think that's, that's a really interesting new angle. Um, and, and I think, I think they need, I think if they want to use the water, which I think they have to, they've already kind of committed to that. I think they need to have a permit that's going to take a year and a half to finish. And people, people are like, people are always like, well, you know, they'll let Musk get away with anything, but I don't know. I don't know how you do it without, it's kind of winked at that certain people get rules, um, complied against them differently. We see it all the time in financial crimes against rich people. You know, there's class differences, you know, we see it kind of in action, but I don't know. It's just so explicitly not allowed that I don't, I guess, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe the clean water act is, is, you know, maybe, maybe Elon Musk finally made his, uh, I don't believe in permits. Um, maybe he's met his match. I don't know. Um, so I, I guess, I guess I'm just really fascinated by this development because I wrote about it a long time ago and I can't believe it's actually happening. Yeah. You and me both. Well, listen, you need, you, what you need to do is keep your, keep your nose to the ground ESG hound yeah. <laughs> and, uh, stay on top of things. And, and that's, that's all you can do. You know, you, you go and you bring the, bring the, the hidden, facts the hidden requirements to light and that's all we can do let the chips fall where they may i i agree the thing i wanted to say is i'm i'm kind of surprised but i'm kind of not and this one seems like i don't know it seems pretty open and shut to me but i'm sure that there are plenty of smart people in the space community that will find a loophole that they think uh will work um and they will tell me all about it and i'm i'm interested to hear uh, why that would not be an industrial um, wastewater because it absolutely would be. So. And that's one of the reasons to get up every morning, right? To find out what happens next. Yes. <laughs> well, to find out what, what is or isn't an industrial pollutant. <laughs> right. That's, that's what I get up for, but I don't right. know about you. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Eric, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and how to see your stuff. Um, yeah, sure. You can, you can come find me on Substack, um, esghound.substack.com. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter. You can also follow me on the brand new, uh, meta threads application. I've been trying to post there a little bit more. You can always find me at, e- you can, you can contact me by email. I believe I, I'm good about responding to almost every email. Um, it's, uh, esg.hound at gmail.com. Um, send me a Twitter message. Tell me when I'm wrong. Uh, tell me you like the work or not. Um, I, I, I have added a, uh, kind of a premium subscription trying to monetize a little bit, but, uh, just rest assured that all SpaceX content will be free, um, from now until the end of time. So, um, just subscribe and, and get, get it sent to your email box or follow me on social media. Um, love to hear from you. Very good. We'll also be including links to Eric's info in the show notes on talkingspaceonline.com. Uh, thanks to our listeners for being with us today. And thanks to Eric Resch for joining us today for some very interesting conversation. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Larry. And to everyone, I hope the rest of your day is great. 
see you next time. Thank you.